Well, good morning. I hate to break up your fellowship this morning, but we need to go ahead and get started. Uh, we have a lot to do this morning uh, as far as our schedule is concerned, but we are super thankful uh, that you have uh, chosen to worship with us this day. Uh, I hope and trust that you all had a great Thanksgiving holiday and uh, gained a couple inches in your waistline. I know I did, but that's okay. Thanksgiving's good for that. Um, but we are excited uh, to be in the house of the Lord today to, to worship Him. And we have so much to be thankful for. Um, there are a lot of announcements uh, that uh, are taking place in our, in, our, in our church right now. And is there a QR code that we are going to have people scan? No? It'll come up. So as I'm doing announcements, uh, I'm going to uh, enumerate a couple of announcements that are very pertinent. But uh, as I'm doing announcements, if you want the whole shebang, uh, just scan that QR code and that will take you to the announcements that you uh, will want to see. So, um, so first, I just want to welcome everybody. And uh, especially if you're visiting with us today, we want to welcome you. And we ask that you take a care card that's in the pew back in front of you and fill that information out uh, and then give that back to one of the staff. Or you can put that in the giving boxes that's located on the back wall uh, as you exit the foyer of the sanctuary. So we would just love to have a recollection of your visit, get back in touch with you. Uh, so, but thank you for visiting with us today. Make sure you get that care card filled out. And then on the flip side of that is a place for anybody to fill out a prayer request. We would love to know how we can pray for you. So um, fill that out and you can also turn those in the same way. But uh, nonetheless, we are super excited that you all are here to worship with us today uh, on the Lord's Day. A couple of announcements that I am going to hit that tomorrow night, uh, all those that plan to go to the OCC Processing Center, uh, you will be leaving at 530. Um, if you've not signed up for that, please do so. You have to be at least 13 years of age, and those under the age of 17 must be accompanied by an adult. So that's happening uh, tomorrow night and on December the 5th. Um, our angel tree ministry is up and going. You see there's one in the lobby of the sanctuary, one in the lobby of the core. Please take uh, time to go by and visit that and, and choose uh, a, a couple of those tags. Make sure that you get uh, an instruction card. Uh, there's plenty of those that's got the instructions as to how to, uh, to uh, turn the tags back in and such. So make sure that you pay attention to those cards. Take one with you. Uh, and then those will be coming in in a couple of weeks. So make sure that you stay involved in that. Next Saturday is Saturday of Hope. And that is from 8 until noon. Starts with a breakfast in the morning. And then there are a couple of work projects that we're going to do. Uh, but we need you to sign up if you're planning on attending that so that we can know how many to prepare for breakfast. But we hope and pray that you are involved in next Saturday, Saturday of Hope. Now, beginning next Sunday is the next quarter in our community group's Sunday school ministry. And that's when we are going to start our master life together. Um, but uh, in, in order to, to get the most out of this course, we're encouraging you to get the workbooks and go through the quiet times that start tomorrow. So each book has a, a daily quiet time in it that you study. And then that next Sunday, your Sunday school lesson, community group lesson, will be about what you studied the week before. And so will Pastor Scott's message. So you don't want to miss the full effect of this by skipping out on those quiet times. So go ahead and get your workbook today and see Kevin Seeger. He's back there selling them in the lobby of, of the, the sanctuary here and get started on those quiet times tomorrow so you can become uh, get ready for next week's lesson in Sunday school in Pastor Scott's message. Um, there are a, a ton of Christmas announcements uh, and you can find those in this uh, nice brochure that's at the welcome desk. So Go by if you want to know uh, the, the life of pits, what's going on at Christmas season. Just pick this up, and it's got all the things that we're going to be doing and all the things that we're going to be involved in this Christmas. So you can pick one of these up uh, as you leave today uh, at the welcome desk in the foyer of the sanctuary. Um, 
Again, a short announcement time, um, but hopefully you got that QR code. Uh, and if you have any other questions about announcements, come see one of the staff. We'll be glad to answer those for you. Uh, let's join our hearts together and pray and ask the Lord to bless this service and that we would bless his name. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. Uh, we thank you, Father, for allowing us to be in this place to worship you. God, as we reflect on this past Thursday, this the day of Thanksgiving, I, I pray that we are reminded, Lord, that your word instructs us that we are to forget not all your benefits. And that's not just on Thursday, but that Thanksgiving is a way of life, that we are to give thanks always. And so, God, I pray um, that's in our hearts and in our minds. And Lord, as, as we come upon the, the Christmas season, I pray, God, that our hearts and minds would be about what the true meaning of Christmas is all about, that, that we were in need of a Savior, that our sin had separated us from you, and that from the beginning of time, before the beginning of time, Father, you knew how that you would redeem us. You knew, Father, that you would give your only Son to be the sin sacrifice for us that we could be in relationship with you. God, I pray that um, if there's anyone here this morning that uh, does not know that, has not understood that, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them, let them know of their sin, and then let them know, Father, that you have provided a way through Jesus for them to be saved. Um, bless every aspect of this service that it would honor and glorify your name. Father, you are alone or worthy of our praise. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning as we sing together to our Father in heaven? Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry.
John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Offer us salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. singing this morning. Thank you. Well, uh, today I have good news for you, and I have bad news for you. Uh, the bad news first. If you're one who says at church they always talk about money, 
Well, the bad news is today I'm going to talk about money. <clears throat> but the good news is if you're one who says, I want a church that doesn't always talk about money. Well, I've got good news for you. If my records are accurate, in 25 years of being your pastor, this will only be the fourth time in 25 years I have spoken to you specifically about money. And so you have found your church. <laughs> As Kevin indicated, this is an abbreviated service, so we can present our budget to you. If you would find... Matthew chapter 6 in your copy of the scripture. And actually, we're not even going to specifically get around to talking about money until near the end of the message. On the back of your sermon notes page, you'll see some of those concluding spaces to fill in. And that's when we're going to get down to talking specifically about money even more. And uh, the first part of the message is just in general about life itself. In fact, I want us to look at the subject matter this morning, life according to Jesus. So find Matthew chapter 6 and pick up reading with me. If you would stand for the reading of God's word, please, and pick up reading with me in verse 19. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You may be seated. Some years ago, the Charlotte Observer ran an article that they entitled, Richer but not happier. And in that article, they spoke about the rising tide of affluence in America. And one of the article talked about the average size of homes today, for example, that at the same time that families are shrinking in number, the size of their homes and the amenities in their homes are growing exponentially. It said the number of Americans taking cruises today have gone up about 15 times. Recreation vehicles have risen from approximately 30,000 to almost a quarter of a million. We are now attending more symphonies, plays, concerts, and sporting events than ever and buying more boats and electronics and various gadgetry. But are we happier as a society? Robert Lane, a professor at Yale, points to a rising tide today of clinical depression, increasing distrust of other people and of institutions, and he speaks also of the erosion of family ties and diminishing friendships. Conservative author William Bennett said, The nation we live in today is more violent, more vulgar, rude, remorseless, deviant, and depressed than the world that we once inhabited. I found this interesting. Uh, an investment strategist for Payne Weber said more money means more consumption and more consumption means more stress about purchasing, transporting, insuring, using, storing, cleaning, repairing, and discarding goods. 
And so the article went on to report now a new trend among some Americans. They're purposely trying to slim down and becoming more minimalistic and simplify their, their lives. Now folks, by the very nature of the world that we live in, let's face it, to some degree we have to be a bit focused on things. Because we have physical bodies with needs in a physical world. And so because of that, we can't help but spend a great deal of our time and attention on the subject of things. But let's see what Jesus has to say here about that. He tells us what life is supposed to look like. How should one of his followers be living his or her life? And that's what we want to look at today. Jesus spoke of his followers having, first of all, a solitary treasure. Look again at what he says in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He first tells us what we're not to do. We're not to lay up our treasures on this earth. In verse 19, it literally says, don't treasure up treasure on the earth. Now, some of you may remember way before Dave Ramsey, there was a guy by the name of Larry Burkett who had a Christian ministry much like uh, Dave Ramsey's today. Larry Burkett once said that materialism, unfortunately, is running rampant in today's American church. Quoting these verses, he says, Christians are trying, they're trying their best to serve both God and mammon. Christians pay more in interest than they give to their churches. Evangelical Christians, Southern Baptists included, now only give 2.3% of their income to their church or Christian causes. He says, by way of comparison, during the Great Depression, when there were bread lines and gas lines and, and a national hunger that was going on, the general population was broke. Giving to the church and Christian causes, even during that Great Depression, was greater than today. It was 3.3%. And again, today it's 2.3%, and even that number is falling. He said 37% never give anything, and those who do give have dropped their giving by 20% or more. Even for families who are in the higher income brackets, only 1% of those church families tithe. A typical contribution to a church today when somebody does give is $17. Burkett concluded with this thought. Christ said the greatest threat to Christianity is not drugs. It's not sex or murder or even politicians. The greatest threat to today's church is materialism. Now let's talk about this a minute. Is Jesus advocating that we all run out and sell everything we have and give to the poor? Actually not. In fact, he only told one person that, the rich young ruler. And the reason he told the rich young ruler that is because to the rich young ruler, what he possessed had become his God, his idol. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament alike, it, it gives the right to material possessions. Including things like money, land, animals, houses, businesses, clothing, and everything else that's adequately, uh, honestly acquired. We even find out in scripture in different places, God has given certain blessings that include material gain. Although the health and wealth prosperity preachers today ha have greatly exaggerated that or blown it out of proportion. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says that God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. We see in the scripture some of the godliest saints of old, like Abraham and Job, were some of the richest people of their day. The Bible also talks about the importance of working hard and saving for the future. You know, some people say, I'm not even going to save for retirement. I'm going to spend it all now and trust God later. Well, in a few years, let us know how that works out for you. In the book of Proverbs, the ant is given as an illustration of working hard and saving up for the future. Paul tells parents in 2 Corinthians that it is their responsibility to lay up in store for their children. And so obviously Jesus is not condemning wealth or money in and of itself. So what is he speaking against? He's telling us to guard against allowing things to become the essence of our lives. It's one thing to own possessions. It's quite another thing if our possessions own us. If your life is simply a matter of making a living so you can enjoy all of your stuff and more stuff, then you have missed the point of life. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the question is asked, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to to, uh, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so those who do not know God have missed the central truth that God would have us to learn. It's like God said in Jeremiah chapter 9. It says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. Now folks, if materialism is what life is about, then life wouldn't be worth very much because look at what happens to things. He says in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. If everything that you value is material things of this world, there's no future in that. Because Jesus says those things can quickly be gone in an instant. I mean, just think about Jesus' audience for a minute. Here's a Jew that goes to his clothing closet and he opens it up and he finds that the moths and various insects have eaten up his clothing. And so if that's where his, uh, if that's where his value was or her value and, and the clothing that they wore, it could be gone in an instant by bugs that would eat it up. If, if it was his grain, he'd go out to his fields, gather the grain in and harvest season, store it in his barns, open the door to his barn one day and find rodents in there by the dozens, maybe even the hundreds eating up his grain. Or because they had mud houses... He might come home from working in his fields one day and open the door of his house and walk in and find out that on the back side of his house a thief has dug through the wall and come into his home and stole all of his valuables. But folks, regardless of what culture you live in, things like that happen in every culture. Jesus says that's just how the world is. Things in the world don't last. You can't bank on them being there tomorrow. Their beauty fades. In fact, it's a wonderful illustration that God gives us every day that life itself is fading. No wonder Moses said, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. And so Jesus says, instead, what we're to be doing, he he says in these verses, we're to be laying up our treasure in heaven. He's redirecting our passion. Man is going to have a passion. His energies are going to be invested in something. And so Jesus is saying, why not spend your energies and passions on that which will never fade? Treasure in heaven will be there for all of eternity. There's no thieves in heaven. There's no rust. There's no fading beauty. There are no insects eating up your clothes. 
And then in verse 21, Jesus gives the clincher. He says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Whatever you value in life is what you're going to pursue. It is a matter of the heart. I read just this week somebody saying that for families that have a family accountant or a family CPA, he said, I can guarantee you one thing. If you have a conversation with your accountant, your accountant can tell you where your passions are. Because they simply look at your spending patterns. And so they know. If your ambition is to pursue wealth, you'll never have enough. The Jews had a saying that whoever craves wealth is like a thirsty man drinking seawater. The more he drinks, the thirstier he gets. And he keeps drinking until he dies. Well, not only are we to have a solitary treasure, but we are also to exercise a selective vision. In verse 22, Jesus said, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Here Jesus is pointing out that that things make an impact on your mind. They have to do with your, your perceptions, your understanding of life. They affect the way you look at life. And he, he makes an analogy using the human eye. The eye is like a window letting light in. The amount of light that gets in is largely dependent on the condition of the eye. If your eye is single or healthy or clear, your whole body, he says, will be full of light. But if your eye is evil or bad or cloudy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And the meaning is clear. A selective eye is a healthy eye. This is the person who has his or her life in order. They see things from a spiritual perspective and they order their lives accordingly. And the result is their whole life is affected in a very positive way. And the spiritual lesson is that we're to have eyes to see what really counts in life. We're to be discerning. We're not to look at life merely from the temporal or the earthly. There's more to life than what you can see and touch and feel. An evil eye is a cloudy eye. This is a person who's not really in tune with God. He may claim to be, but if you look at his life closely, he's very materially minded. His vision is clouded. He's lost the true meaning of life and the true passion of life somewhere along the, the, the way. And because of that, his decisions are going to be clouded by the world. It's like the man who comes home one day, a middle-aged man, and has a conversation with his wife and says, Honey, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is calling me into the ministry. And she says, What are you going to do about it? He says, We're not going to do anything about it. We can't afford to. Or the businessman or businesswoman that they end up in the long run destroying their marriage and destroying their family because they were all about climbing the ladder in life and that's where their vision was that's where their eyesight was and they were blind to everything they were blind to the fact that they were destroying their most intimate relationships around them because of what their passion had become it's like the Christian song that casting crowns came out with back in 2007 how does it happen it's a slow fade. You don't just fall off the cliff suddenly. It's the little decisions like that song said. The a man doesn't destroy his life all at once in a day. A family doesn't destroy themselves all at once in a day. It's a slow fade. Slowly the clouded eye. The decisions that that causes you to make. It ends up revealing 
that your life is very unhealthy. On one occasion, Helen Keller, who became a dedicated Christian, was asked if it was sad to her that she couldn't see. And she said, no, what, what is the saddest thing to me is to think of people who can see, but they're blind. Have a single eye. Don't give your eye to everything and anything. Be selective. Give your energy to God. The Apostle Paul certainly did. Listen to what he said in Philippians 3. He said, The things that were gained to me, those I now consider loss for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and I, I press forward to those things that are ahead where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And then Jesus made a statement about what it all boils down to. Who will direct our lives. He said we're to have a single master. Look at verse 24. Jesus said no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Mark Twain was asked on one occasion, can a man have two wives? And Mark Twain answered, no, he can't. Jesus said he can't. And the man said, I've never read that. He said, sure. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, no man can have two masters. <laughs> Just kidding, ladies. Mark Twain said that, not me. Jesus said no one can have two masters. You can't serve God and money. What do you think of Jesus? Well, Jesus is the one who said that. Are you living for the purpose for which God created you? You have a life's purpose. Are you living out God's purpose for your life? And are you content? Are you satisfied? Are you at the right point now that if God called you, you would be willing to lay everything down and go and do whatever he's calling you to do? If not, then you're in the wrong place in life. What kind of building materials are you sending on up ahead? No man can serve two masters. I want to appeal to you today, whatever you need to do to be rich toward God, do it. And that's where I want to spend the remainder of our time today. How do you make sure you have the right priorities? How do you know whether or not you're laying up your treasures in heaven? I mean, let's face it, you can't get your checkbook out, although hardly no one writes checks anymore. But you can't get your checkbook out and, and write a check to heaven and mail it to heaven. So how in the world then are we to lay up our treasure in heaven? Well, first of all, I would say make sure you are at peace with God. Because your soul is the greatest treasure you have. Because even though you're going to die one day, your soul is going to spend eternity somewhere. And Jesus said, what is it going to profit a man if he should gain the whole world and yet lose his very own soul? Your soul is the greatest treasure you have. Are you prepared for what happens when you die? Because one of these days, if Jesus tarries, you're going to die. I did a funeral yesterday for a 102-year-old lady, Phil Leffler's mom. 102 years old. And yet, guess what? She died. A long life, but she still died. Thankfully, a godly Christian lady. It's what's going to happen to all of us if Jesus tarries. As one writer said, you can jog, you can lift weights, you can diet and eat right, you can have plastic surgery, and sooner or later you'll end up being the healthiest corpse you've ever seen. <laughs> Are you at peace with God? Have you come to Christ in your life? Is he your Lord and Savior? Have you trusted him and him alone to forgive you of your sin?
to cleanse you of your sin. If not, that's the most pressing issue in your life. And folks, as we've seen as a congregation, you don't have to be old to die. Jeff Morris has gone home to be with the Lord. We'll have his funeral here this coming Saturday. Visitation beginning at at 12.30 and funeral at 2. 57 years old, died of Alzheimer's. You don't have to be old to die. Are you ready to meet God? Don't neglect being ready. Remember Remember the board game Monopoly? I hate board games. I'm too competitive. My wife will tell you it's like pulling teeth to get me to sit down and play a board game. But if I'm going to play a board game, Monopoly is probably the one I would want to play. You know, it's that game where you end up buying everything and hoping that your friends go bankrupt. (laughs) But what comes at the end of the game? You take all your houses and hotels and all your cash and what do you do? You box it up and put it away. And one of these days they're going to box you up and they're going to put you away in a hole in the ground. Seriously. We know it's going to happen. And so are we ready for that? Next, I would say be quick to respond to the Word of God in whatever He tells you to do. Pursue obedience in your life. Do you remember uh, Saul and Samuel and what happened in 1 Samuel 15? Where God had told Saul to take his army and go out and destroy the Amalekites and don't leave anything alive. And Saul went out, uh, Saul went out and they destroyed everything but the best. They kept the best. And Samuel shows up on the scene and Saul says, "Um, Samuel, I've done exactly what the Lord told me to do. And Samuel asked the question, then why do I hear the bleeding of sheep in my ears? And Saul says, oh, we kept the best so we could sacrifice it to God. And Samuel said, Saul, there's a problem with that. God didn't tell you to save the best. He told you to destroy everything. And that classic verse, uh, Samuel told Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. Obey God. Obey God. Thirdly, serve the Lord. In John 12, Jesus said, He who serves me, him will my Father honor. Lose yourself in the Lord's work. How do we do that? Through the church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can you honestly say that you love the church and you serve the Lord through serving the church? How about the spiritual gift that God has given you when you were saved? The Bible commands us to use our spiritual gift for the building up of the body of Christ. Are you doing that? How about through faithful attendance? In Hebrews 10, the writer says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. He was writing to Jews who were being persecuted because they had left Judaism and had come into the church. And in that day and time, in the early days of the church, by doing so, a Jewish person could lose their family member. Their family could ostracize them. They could lose their business. The people in the community might turn against them because they had become Christians. They could be persecuted. They could even be put in prison. Some of them, their lives were even taken. That could be the the consequence of going to church. And yet the writer of Hebrews says to them, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. But go and encourage one another and pray for one another and all the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Be faithful in your attendance. And let's add to that. One last thing. Be rich toward God. Look at Malachi chapter 3. Turn to Malachi chapter 3 with me for a moment. 
Malachi chapter 3. Malachi asked the question. It's God speaking through the prophet Malachi. He says, return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we, we return? Then he goes on to say, well, a man robbed God, yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes? and contributions you're cursed with a curse for you're robbing me the whole nation of you bring the full tithe into the storehouse that they, there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test says the Lord of hosts if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear says the Lord of hosts then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight says the Lord of hosts he's talking there about tithes and offerings what is a tithe a, a tithe it's not equal gifts but it is equal sacrifice God's people are told to give one-tenth of their earnings to the Lord and again how do we give in the Old Testament they would give through the temple in the New Testament, we give through the church. Now, I realize that there's a couple of objections in New Testament times to the tithe. And I want to address those for a moment. Because some people say today, well, we're under the new covenant. We're not under the law. And that's true. But I want to remind you of something. Abraham paid tithes more than 400 years before the Mosaic law was ever even given. The tithe did not originate with the law. It predated it. And then in Matthew 23, Jesus was having some controversies with the religious leaders. And they approached him about some issues and he was rebuking them and he said... You, you give tithes of all that you earn. They were even tithing things out of their garden and even their herbs. He said, you give tithes of all of that, and yet you neglect the weightier issues of the law that you should be doing. You say, aha, there you go. You don't have to do it. Jesus was criticizing them because they paid tithes but neglected everything else. But no, 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 listen to what he said. He said... You should have done the later, the more weightier things without neglecting the former, the tithe. That certainly sounds to me like an endorsement of Jesus for the tithe. That true, we don't want to neglect other things. We want to do weightier things, but we also want to be faithful in that. As you're going to hear in a moment... While our giving is down in terms of what would appear to be ties, as Phil Real pointed out to Kevin and my, myself recently, our giving generally is not down. In fact, he pointed out to us that our mission giving is actually up $116,000. We always want to make sure we give a tithe in our budget to missions. But last year, you know what we gave? We didn't give 10% last year. You know what we gave? We gave 22%. We're setting records as a congregation with our giving. Literally. Our mission giving. Setting records. A man called me from the North American Mission Board this last year and told me that the previous year we led all churches in the state of North Carolina in our Annie Armstrong uh, Easter offering for North American missions. And I stopped him. I said, you mean we led all churches of our size and our budget? He said, no, Pastor. Pitts led all churches of all sizes in Annie Armstrong. I said, you've got to be kidding me. We've got churches in the state running four and 5,000 people. He said, Pitts, let them all. We gave $170,000 last year to Lottie Moon. 
But the challenge is now, it used to be with these mission offerings, people would give above and beyond their church offerings. It appears to us now probably, and we understand this on a level. In a tough economy, if people are going to give over here, they, they need to take that dollar away from somewhere else. Instead of above and beyond, we're just changing the way that we're giving. And that's what we're seeing in our budget. And we've got to find a way to better balance our home mission, church, against all the other missions we're involved in. I had Garrett run some numbers for me. I personally don't know what anybody gives. Don't think I do because I don't. But I had her break down some categories. Do you realize that largely, overwhelmingly, not exclusively, largely, the 41 and up age groups, and especially the 60 and up age group, are who overwhelmingly support our church budget. Does that mean those under 41 don't give? No, I didn't say that. Does that mean that everybody over 41 or everybody over 60 ties? No, I didn't say that either. Generally speaking, 41 and up, and especially 60 and up, are who carries our church finances. I would urge some of our younger families to teach your family about giving. It'll serve them well in the long run. You know, let's face it, it's easy, as I said earlier, to get off course a little bit in life. George Wood writes that on October 31st, 1983, Korean Airlines Flight 007 departed from Anchorage, Alaska for a direct flight to Seoul, Korea. Unknown to the crew, however, the computer engaging the flight navigation system contained a one and a half degree routing error. At the point of departure, the mistake was unnoticeable. Even a hundred miles out, the deviation was so small as to be undetectable. But as the giant 747 continued through the Aleutians and out over the Pacific, the plane increasingly strayed from its course. And eventually it had strayed to the point of being in Soviet airspace. Soviet radar picked up the air. Fighter jets scrambled into the air to uh, intercept the 747. Over mainland Russia, the jets shot Flight 007 out of the sky, and everybody that day on that 747 lost their lives. What started to be a slight course alteration or error turned out to be a deadly mistake. Folks, it is so easy to get off course just a little bit in our spiritual lives. To get off course in what Jesus is talking about here, where our priorities are to be, including our giving, we can just have that slow fade. But it can end up with larger consequences than we intend time it's said and done. Are you investing your life in things right now that if Jesus called you home today, you would be able to lay everything about your life at his feet and say, Lord, this is what my life has been about. And the Lord would say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, we thank you for these verses about life's priority. I pray that we would heed your words. When it comes to our time, our energies, our talents, our spiritual gifts, our attendance, our giving, everything about us. Lord, may we be a people who are laying up our treasure in heaven and not on the earth. May we live for you and your purposes first and foremost. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.